right, good morning, guys. Good morning, good morning. You guys look thankful today. Way to go. We've got a lot to say. All right, hey, good to see you guys. Uh, if I haven't met you, my name is Mitchell, and just uh, glad that I get to worship you guys and thankful for this church body and just glad that the Lord led us here to start this church just a few years ago. Thanks for jumping in, guys. It's just so powerful to worship the Lord with you guys. You're feeling like God's here, right? <laughs> Am I the only one that notices that? He's here. Just love being together in God's presence with the people of God. So rich. Um, hey, run a quick announcement, and then I'm going to introduce um, a new series and also a, uh, a not a guest speaker because he's in-house, but he's a, let's just call him a guest speaker this morning. Jeremy's going to be preaching today. Uh, but hey, uh, real quick, over the next two weeks, I'm going to be uh, mentioning this more, but I want to give you a heads up, but on the, f- the last few days of February and the first day of March, uh, as I think it's the 27th through March 1st, we're going to be doing a... Church-wide fast. Woo. <laughs> Listen, if you cheered, you are definitely fasting. All right? So uh, fasting is one of those things that most believers try to block out of their Bible, but we try not to, even though it's difficult. But um, praying and fasting is such a, bi- a biblical concept and a spiritual discipline that draws us nearer to the Lord. We're not earning things from him, but we're just emptying ourselves so that really he can fill us more. And uh, we're going to be connecting actually with the entire Antioch movement. Antioch is a part of a larger network of churches all over the U.S. and the world. And we're going to be partnering together, praying and contending for God to move. And the specific theme of this is praying into unity. Unity is one of the words of the Lord for 2023 for our church and our movement. Just believing that as the world gets more and more divided, it's not going to be so in the church. We're going to be unified, knit together in love, not compromising, but we're going to be contending for unity. We're going to be... fighting for relationships instead of just distancing ourselves from those that are different than us. So anyways, um, we're going to talk over that, about that over the next couple weeks um, and get you ready for February 27th, all right? Okay, you guys ready for a new series? We just finished up uh, what we called Health of the House, talking about elements that make up a healthy church body. Um, but this morning, we're going to start, I think it's about six or seven week series called Biblical. Everybody say the phrase Biblical. Biblical. So it's very, very simple, the premise of this series, very simple. There are so many different ways of thinking specifically about really topics that are ever talked about in the world today. And as the people of God, we want to make sure that we have a biblical understanding or a biblical worldview or a biblical way of looking at something if we're going to talk about it. Okay, there's uh, a cultural understanding of things, there's Uh, Just the way that you were brought up, you have an understanding of things, but we want to all submit our hearts, submit our minds to seeing things through a biblical lens. And so over the next several weeks, there's different topics that we're going to be unpacking, uh, finances or unity or relationships or sexuality or the list goes on and on, leadership, a bunch of different topics that we're going to talk about. I I wish we could do all of them, but we're going to pick a handful, six or seven of them, and uh, dive into them over the next couple weeks. Does that sound good? And we're going to literally just look at what does the Bible say? And do we agree with that? Are we willing to submit to that? And um, so I'm excited for it. So round one, we're talking about finances. And we got the finance guru in the house, the guest speaker, Jeremy B.R. Let's give it up for this man of God. Thanks, guys. Finance guru. That's funny. I'm going to try to not be the finance guru this morning, I'm going to try to read this this morning and stay on theme uh, with, the, with the sermon series. That said, I'm Jeremy. Happy Sunday, guys. Not just any Sunday. Super Bowl Sunday. Go Chiefs, guys. <laughs> Had to get that out of my system. I am a big football fan, and the Chiefs are my second favorite team. My favorite team it's my, my hometown team, the Houston Texans. And, guys, it's a sad time. But I've been training. my I've been discipling them into Houston Texans fandom. I just got this little signed rookie card of D'Amico Ryans, who's the Texans' new head coach. And when they change their clothes from their jammies to their clothes for the day, they get to hold the card. <laughs> D'Amico Ryans? Yeah, D'Amico Ryans. He used to play for the Texans. Now he's the coach for the Texans. I mean, it's, it's great, guys. Anyways, Hudson is one and a half. He says, Daco? Oh, Daco Ryans? 
Anyways. Guys, I used to be on staff, I promise. Okay. <laughs> if I haven't met you, yeah, my name is Jeremy. I used to be on staff here for about the first three years of our church here. That was an awesome experience. Now I just volunteer in some different ways, and Mitchell gave me the opportunity to speak this morning, which I'm really thankful for. Um, for work, I'm an entrepreneur. I do some things. Mitchell called me a finance guru because I'm a financial advisor, um, but I am not the guru this morning. Biblical finances. So if you know me, you're not surprised that I have about 30 hours of sermon that I want to preach right now. Not just in my head, like written down, like actually, but I'm not going to talk for 30 hours, okay? But what I want to do is just talk as loud and as fast as I can for one hour and just hope it all sticks and then just, all right, go on, get your lunch. You know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to do that either, hopefully, hopefully. But it does matter so much to me that we live biblically in this area and, and really just that we follow Jesus, that we know what he says and that we do what he says, that we listen to him and we obey him. That's what I want for us, and I will admit that I uniquely care that we do it in the area of our finances. I, I care that we follow Jesus in every area, but for whatever reason, I don't know why, I especially really want believers to live biblically in this area. I don't know if it's just like a sovereign calling of God thing, or if it's like I feel like it's a blind spot in the global church thing, or I don't know why, but it just feels like, ooh, I want us to get this this morning. I want us to be free in our hearts as it relates to money, 100% aligned with the heart of God in this area in our life. So in spite of my passion, I'm going to preach to us this morning. I say in spite because I don't want y'all to walk away from this morning feeling like, man, Jeremy's passionate about finances. That is not the goal. I already told you I am, so now you already have that takeaway, so let's be done with that. What I want you to walk away with this morning is this is what the Bible says, and I want to do it. Is anyone, th did anyone come here to <laughs> learn from the Bible this morning? Okay, let's do it then. Hey, quick question. This is not to, uh, this is not a shame question, but a logistics question. How many of you guys came with a physical Bible this morning? Can I get like a quick show of hands? Okay, cool. Could I get as many of y'all that want to, could y'all look up a verse in the New Testament that has to do with money? You don't have to know the verse by heart. You could Google real quick, like verses about money. But would love for uh, several of us to just find one. It could be the same as someone else. It could be different. And if you could just like hold it, if you could just earmark it, I'll come back to you. But as I keep talking, feel free to find a verse somewhere that has to do with money. Thanks, guys. So while they do that, I want to give you all two foundational truths right off the bat, two in one. Simple, simple, simple. What does the Bible say about money or some mindsets that we need to know about money? And it's this. Firstly, God owns everything. And secondly, we are God's stewards. God owns everything, and we are his stewards. I have a slide, I think, with a bunch of verses. I'm not going to read them all, but if you want to take a picture of this, all the Old Testament verses are basically, if you were to imagine, like Hudson, my one-year-old, saying, mine, mine, mine. That's what it sounds like, except it's God talking about everything that belongs to him. He's like, the earth is mine, and everything is in it. The heavens are mine, and everything that's in it. The land is mine. The animals are mine. The food is mine. If I was hungry, I would not tell you because it is mine. The gold and the silver are mine. I'm like, okay, I got it, Lord. It all it belongs to him. And these five uh, New Testament scriptures all highlight that we are his stewards. Five different parables. All of them portray God as an owner of either money or land or whatever. And people as receiving Things that God owns, not, not like to own them and take them away from God, but hey, this still belongs to me, but I'm going to entrust it to you for a season. Would you do what I want you to do with these funds? And so money is not the only thing that God's called us to steward. Really, everything in our life belongs to the Lord. If you are following Jesus, like our life is hidden 
in Christ. We don't live for ourselves any longer, so our time, our abilities, our talents, everything is his. But biblically, it's very, very clear, yeah, all the money is his, whether, whether you follow God or not, whether you know it or not, it belongs to him. And that leaves us with one big question, which is what does he want us to do? In all five of those parables, they're different stories. Some of them are similar, but all five of them, God has, or, or the, you know, the, in, the, in the parable, it's not God. It's like the owner, you know, but Jesus says that it's about the kingdom of heaven or it's like when God returns. He asks the steward, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? All five times. That's what he wants to know. And so it's important for us that we know what God wants us to do because it belongs to him. He wants us to be his stewards, and he's going to ask us. He's going to say, what did you do with what I entrusted to you? And that's um, it's a, it's an important question to answer. I don't want to put too much of a Jeremy flavor on what I feel like God wants us to do. And that's why I had several of us uh, look up some scriptures. I didn't plant any seeds. I didn't give anyone, hey, make sure you include this verse. I just want to see what does the Bible say. Y'all want to see just kind of, let's just, let's just throw some things out there. What does the Bible say about finances? Does that sound good? Here's what I want to do. Could we have like maybe 10 or 12 people like just start coming up, lining up. If you have a verse in a Bible, you don't have to introduce yourself. I actually would rather you not introduce yourself. Don't preach. Just like read, you know, Matthew 1, 1, read the verse. You can go sit down. We'd love for us to all hear some things that the Bible has to say. And let's see if we can draw any themes. Come on up, guys. I know at least 50 of y'all got a verse, so we just need about 12 volunteers. Come on up. Come on up. Y'all feel free to give it up for these brave souls. Let's get a couple more. Here, I'll come down. Let's bring it on over. Okay, feel I'll hold the mic to make it easier for you guys. Let's hear, let's hear what the Bible says. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Mark 4, 18 and 19 says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. Luke 16, 10 to 13. If you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in the large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Acts 2, 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Just so you know, guys, we read that verse every week in Life Group. Lape's not just everyone's favorite because of his good looks, okay? All right, First Timothy 6, um, starting verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food, clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Hebrews 13.5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And I have the exact same verse. <laughs> I have part of another one. For the love, oh, this is First Timothy 6. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith 
and pierced themselves with many griefs. This is Matthew six twenty four. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Proverbs thirteen seven, There is one who makes himself rich, yet has nothing, and one who makes himself poor, yet has great riches. It's good stuff, guys. Just so you all know, there are dozens and dozens more just in the New Testament, and if you include the Old, I mean, it's like the most frequently brought up topic in the Bible, I'm pretty sure. But what stands out? Did anyone capture any themes from what we heard? You don't have to answer. I'll help with this part, okay? (laughs) Two things that stand out to me as I read the Bible, what is the wisdom of God? What is the counsel biblically as it relates to our finances? The first is to guard against the love of money, the pursuit of money, the hoarding of money. You hopefully heard that in several scriptures that were just read. The love of money is the root of all evil. If I knew that I was called to righteousness and something was called the root of all evil, I would want to be guarded towards that thing. Multiple different verses talks about you cannot serve God and money. Okay, so I can't serve it if I'm also going to serve God. So if I, if I know I want to serve God, I would be guarded towards what is the, the lordship of money. If I was serving money, what would I do? Am I doing that? Because then I might be serving money. And if I'm serving money, then I might not be serving God. You know, I would be very alarmed. I, w- I, would, I would be guarded. I would be warned. Even the, the verse that uh, Thomas read not that he introduced himself, but he's <laughs> that was the verse that talked about the, the thorns that choked out the good fruit that God was doing. That's the parable of the four soils. And so you had, you know, some that fell on whatever, the path, and birds snatch it right away. Some fall on rocks, and, and the, these seeds are like the word of God, the gospel in someone's heart, in their life. And the rocks, uh, it never really got deep enough. It just wasn't really the right setting. The thorns, it was great soil, great fruit. All of us could definitely be any of them, but no matter how passionate of a believer, you could always still be the third soil where everything's right in the, in the plant, in the dirt, in the sun, but thorns, external things choke out what otherwise would have been an amazing plant. And it's, and Jesus says the thorns are the deceitfulness of riches, the deceitfulness of wealth. And I want to just emphasize that, like, the deceitfulness of wealth, serving money, loving money, those are not conditional on how much money you have. It is a heart thing. You can't have little enough to protect you from these things. You also can't have so much that you are condemned to those things. We can't, by our, our own abilities or our circumstances, we can't create an environment that guarantees that we love God and don't serve money, that we are pure in our heart towards money. What we need is a supernatural work of God in our heart. We need him to purify us, to cleanse us, to make us free in this area of money. So it's not all about how many dollars do you have or do you not have? It's about where is your heart? The second theme I see is generosity, giving money away. You had uh, in Acts 2, people selling possessions to give to anyone who had need. Um, And there are several more (laughs) scriptures. I'm forgetting some of them that were read, but there were several that were read that were talking about giving and you see it all over the place. I want to um, try a little experiment real quick related to giving. I'm wondering if anyone here 
you would say, and you're, you're willing to raise your hand, it's going to be kind of vulnerable. Might have to wait a second. But does anyone feel like under pretty severe or even mild financial stress, worry, difficulty, hardship? Is anyone like, yeah, I'm, this is, finances has been tough. Could, could, could I give you $100? Would you accept it if I gave it to you? Awesome. Now, here's one thing that I want you to do. You don't have, I'm Jeremy, by the way. It's good to meet you. You don't have to do this. I want you today to think about and act upon something or someone that you could give $50 to. Okay, you don't have to do it. Like, it's, on, it's your money. I gave it to you. I found it earlier today. I went and checked my office. I'm like, I wonder if uh, anything sold. Yes. So I sold a possession yesterday, received $100. I'm going to give you that $100. I would love for you to give $50 to someone or something else. Here's my question for the church. Did I just bless, can I say, what's your name real quick? Tyler? Did I just bless Tyler or did I just curse him? Most of y'all think I blessed him. So why did I bless him if I'm asking someone that just confessed he's financially stressed, he's in need, and I just asked him, of all people in the room, I asked him to give away $50? That seems kind of rude. That seems kind of extreme. And I think all of us intuitively were like, well, he, he also, like, one, he doesn't have to do it, but two, like, he still gets $50 that he wasn't going to have, right? Like, that's, it's a blessing. Of course it's a blessing. And I feel like this is a small picture of the heart of God as it relates to generosity, that every dollar we receive, we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. There are verses, I'm not going to read them, but that talk about even the work of your hands, even the things that you labored for, you, it was a gift of God to be able to generate that income, to be able to work. Your health, you did not earn. You could steward your health through good eating, through sleeping well, but you didn't just, like, do good enough to wake up this morning. Like, God's mercy and provision are everywhere in our life. Everything's, everything's abundance. Everything's, I didn't deserve this. If we want to play with what we deserved, we're not here this morning, guys. But if we want to play with God owns everything, then, man, if he wants me to give, like, that's awesome because he's prov providing for me at the same time. But here's the biggest blessing that I actually gave Tyler is he's in need, and he's going to get to give to something or someone in need. And he will know how much that $50 means. It will feel good. After he does it, it might feel <laughs> a little hard as he does it. <laughs> but man, when Megan and I used to be in a bunch of student loan debt, we were in over 100K of student loan and bills and all that stuff. We would give frequently to other people's student loans, and they had less than us. And we were like, man, we feel the weight of this. We feel the burden of this, the expectation of this, the difficulty of this. Man, I wouldn't want this for anybody. Let's give so that other people can get out of student loan debt. And we didn't just, like, wipe anyone's debt. We were both full-time college students. Like, we didn't have any money. We were married young, okay? I'm, I'm, this summer, going to be married eight years, all right? I got two kids. I look like I'm in high school, okay? <laughs> but, man, what a joy to give from a, a place of knowing the – how much that means and what it will do in your heart to give not just what doesn't matter to you, not just the surplus, but to give the, the, the thing that costs you something. It's, it's an amazing work in your heart that sets you free. I don't know if any of y'all have done like contentment challenges or like, you know, spending freezes or like the 75 hard is the latest one. I don't know if y'all heard of that, but like... Like, you have your lifestyle, and what you're used to spending 
and you think, and you, like, if I only spend this, I'm going to feel so poor. Like, I'm going to feel, like, oppressed by myself. But often what happens is I feel, like, wealthier almost. Like, not just like, oh, I saved this money. Like, I actually feel more content. I want fewer things now, even though I have even fewer things. It's amazing the gift that giving is. And so if biblically you see all these, we didn't read them all, but you see all these themes of what has God asked us to do. And man, he wants us to give generously. It is a gift that he is giving you the ability to give. And as you give, you'll see how much of a gift it is. Throughout the Bible, we see financial provision, whether it's abundant overflow or just daily manna, we see it designed to be a blessing from God that he gives as he wills, not something that we just strive for, that we pursue, that we just try to get more of. Our goal is not to get what's ours. Our goal is to say thank you for whatever we receive and ask him, what do you want me to do with it? Woo! Freedom! Let's stand up. Let's get a stretch break in, guys. Go ahead. You earned it. Sunday morning, not just any Sunday, right? Hey, they, they might need you tonight, okay? <laughs> Feel free to sit back down. Hey, one, one question for you while we're on this stretch break. Just person to person, just me and you. I'm just curious. You don't have to answer this, but I really want to know. What's it like to be rich? Is it like the movies? Like, is it, is it like everything you ever dreamed of? Like, seriously, tell, like, tell me about it. Apologies for the rhetorical question, but I did want to make one slight point before we go into the second half of the message here real quick. And that is that y we actually are rich. And we're living in the wealthiest society that's ever existed. We're the wealthiest people group that have ever lived on earth, literally. As just living here in this country, your quality of life, the amenities accessible to you, the vastness of your network, the connectedness to global affairs, your access to resources and ideas and pleasures, your opportunities to generate revenue, the amount of free time available for recreation and worship and philanthropy, the safety and comfort of your home and your loved ones, the global esteem and envy that you receive from people all over the world just for being here right now. The wealthiest person in the world just a few generations ago could not even have imagined the life that you are living. King Solomon cannot touch the wealth that you are living in. How's it feel, guys? Is it everything you thought it would be? Welcome, you made it. So I mentioned that, no, again, I'm not trying to shame anyone. I just, this was actually really helpful for me when I stopped trying to not be that and realized that, oh, if regardless of what I am, it's, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, so here I am, so what do you want me to do? This is what you've entrusted to me. So you can't, you can't run away from this reality. It's just you're the chosen people for this age in 2023. You can't just pretend that you lived 3,000 years ago and it's not your fault and you're not a bad person. It's just, Lord, what do you want me to do? So when you read the Bible and you see a verse that's talking about the rich, I want you to think, is that talking to me? Let that refine me. Let's take a deep breath. Good stretch, good stretch. Okay, for the rest of our talk, I want to dive into one more specific thing that I see biblically that God wants for us as stewards of his money. And that is that he wants us to tithe. It's true. God wants us to tithe. Does anyone know where we get the idea of the tithe from that's not in the discipleship school that I spoke to a couple weeks ago? Anyone have a guess? I heard the Levites. It is in Genesis 28. It is before the Levites. We're going to dive into it. It's going to be good. Oh, real quick, actually. 
Um, I have a slide about what does God want us to do with our money. It just summarizes what I just said, but it has some more scriptures. If anyone wants to take a picture of this, you're welcome to do some more Bible study in our biblical series here. Just wanted to pause. Turns out, even at random, 12 verses at random, and it became very clear, wow, money might not be something I want to worship. Wow, I think I'm supposed to give some away. You can take any 12, you're going to see the theme. Okay, guys, Genesis 28. Let me set the scene. Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham, he had just fled his household because he learned that his brother Esau was plotting to kill him. While Jacob is traveling, God encountered him in a dream at Bethel. And in Genesis 28, 15, we see what God says in the dream. He says, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. It's an amazing promise. Jacob wakes up, and then he makes a vow to the Lord. He responds to this dream. Someone say, Jacob made a vow. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. In all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. If you don't know, tithe literally means a tenth. So Jacob vows, he promises God, he makes, a, in a sense, a covenant with God, two indefinite promises. One, that God will be his God. There will be no other gods. One God, and it's God. The other thing, everything that he gives to Jacob, Jacob will give God a tenth. Not just everything up to that point, but indefinitely. Anything I receive, I will give you a tenth. Those two things I will do if, you return me here safely to this land. And you know what happens next, guys? 20 years goes by. 20, have, how many of you guys remember a promise you made to someone 20 years ago? <laughs> I, I would have to think really hard for a long time, and I probably will not come up with anything. But let's see what happens. 20 years later, he comes back to the land, and he's safe. You see it in chapter 35 of Genesis. Let's see what he does. The first thing he does. So Jacob said to his household and to all who are with him, get rid of the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So in his household, I know you all think Jacob, he's the man of God, right? Until this point, there's a bunch of foreign gods everywhere in his house. But once God fulfills his part of the promise, Jacob says, hey, all you guys, bring all that foreign stuff. We have one God now. And then he goes to the same place where God met with him in the dream, and he builds an altar. And I will bet anyone a million dollars that he gave 10% of everything that he had received up to that point, And that was not the last time that he gave a tenth. Quick aside, Bethel. Anyone know what Bethel means? House of God. So he built an altar at the house of God. That The house of God is where he offered 10%. And check out what happens in, in response. How, what, what does God do after he sees Jacob with this big act of faith? It says, after Jacob returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. So he named him Israel, and God said to him, I am the God Almighty. Be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from your body. The land I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I also give to you, and I will give this land to your descendants also. So God demonstrated his commitment to Jacob and his pleasure with Jacob's 
covenant with him that he makes Jacob Israel. Israel becomes the nation of God's people. And if you read the New Testament, Ephesians 2, Romans 11, Galatians 3, several others, you see that as believers, we are grafted into this family, that we become citizens of God's people, that we were like a wild branch, and he just put us into this tree that already existed, and this is the tree. These are the promises of God that the Christian faith is built upon. And what I want to highlight also is that Jacob's vow was not just for Jacob. We know culturally that it would have applied to his household. It's not like every son is just, well, what do you want to do? What do you, well, who do you believe in? Well, what do you think? Okay, it's like, no, I'm, I'm Jacob. This is my house. We follow God. We give him a tenth. For sure. And we are in that family now. <laughs> but we don't just have to rely on culture. Malachi 3 6 through 9, many generations later, many generations, God says, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob. Why is he talking about Jacob all of a sudden? O descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. So in other words, not only did God honor Jacob's vow and say, man, I'm going to make you Israel. I'm going to graft everyone into this family. I like the culture you're setting up right here. He also holds generations later accountable for not maintaining this vow. You see it also in Psalm 50. I don't have it on the screen, but God's like, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I own a cattle on a thousand hills. Like, when you sacrifice a bull, does that help me? Like, do I get something from your generosity? No, but fulfill your vow to me, declares the Lord Almighty. This is not about what I get. This isn't about what anyone else gets. This is about a vow that you have made. These are promises that our faith is built upon. And so the tithe to the Lord literally is like a foundational bedrock element to the Christian faith. Later in the Old Testament in Leviticus, God kind of doubles down on the clarity of where do you give the tithe. You know, we know that Jacob gave it at Bethel, the house of God. In Leviticus, or sorry, in Numbers 18, it's probably actually in Leviticus also, um, God says, hey, bring your whole tithe to the temple. The whole tenth, bring it to the temple, the place of worship. And he instructed that everyone that works at the temple <laughs> that's responsible for keeping it, that's a priest, they are going to live off of your 10% tithe gift. For us today, the house of God, the house of worship, is not a temple. It's not that random specific altar that Jacob built. It's the local church. We don't have priests, but we do have people that work full-time vocationally as ministers at the church. And according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, they are commanded by God that they should receive wages for their work in ministry in the same way that priests and temple workers did in the Old Covenant. Some will say, in the same way. What was the same way? The same way was all of Israel, all of God's people, giving 10% to the temple, to their house of worship. So the same way that Paul's talking about is, hey, all God's people, where is your house of worship? Give 10%, and people should receive their wages from that that work there. So that's where we get this idea from biblically. We also know, thanks to Luke 11, that Jesus affirmed a super religious legalistic practice of the tithe. He actually gave it his thumbs up, even though it was done by Pharisees that weren't even having good intentions. And he rebuked the Pharisees for everything else they did, like their prayers, 
bad. Like, they're giving, like, to the poor, like, to, to outward giving, bad. Like, they're everything, they're studying of the Bible. It's like, you think you're going to save yourself by this. You're not. Like, look, I'm God in the flesh. Like, everything else they did that we would say are, like, better, cooler, more Christian, Christian disciplines, you know? Like, worship and prayer and studying the Bible and spending time with God. Like, the Pharisees get rebuked for how they did all of that. And when it came to the tithe, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to mess with that. But you still got some heart issues in some other areas. And they were literally, like, taking mint leaves off of their mint plant and bringing it to the temple. Like, oh, 10%. I'm going to give you my best leaf. Boom. It would have been easy to rebuke, you know? We also see early Christians giving far above 10%. We don't literally know factually how much they gave, but we know oftentimes they gave all, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. So they didn't have a building. The house of worship is not about does your church have a house, have a building. The house, if you read First Peter, it's like you together as the Lord's people, like living stones are being built together into a household. So it's the people of God that have a household. There's like the global church, but there's like households, okay? There's places with people that live there. And like if you want to go big global church, it's like doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. It's like saying that everyone should be born into the same like mom and dad. It's like it just doesn't <laughs> work. There's not like one pastor that lives somewhere that every other Church, I mean, it's kind of like, I guess, maybe the way the Catholic Church works. I don't know. I don't know a lot about Catholicism. Leave me alone. I'm not trying to go there right now. <laughs> All I'm saying is, in the New Testament, you see the tithe not spoken against, if anything, increased, and you don't see anywhere biblically that would make you think this doesn't apply anymore. There is not, if you want to, like, there is not, it's not there. I have tried to find it. I have tried to find it. I used to love money, okay? I used to serve money. I would have loved to not have to give any money away. I, ah, you know, like, and it's not there. You can't make a case other than, well, I just don't know, that, you know, don't know. I'm like, that was not a verse, you know, like, <laughs> it's bedrock. It's the vow that, God builds Israel upon is I'll give you a tenth. Okay, so I know that for some of us, the thought of tithing sounds scary or bold or offensive, but I just want to put this in perspective real quick. The Old Testament Israelites, if you want to talk about Levitical law, they gave 23 to 25% of their money away, instructed by God. 10% to the temple. And then they had like 10% for some other causes that would help their society. And then like every third year, 10% they went to the poor. And then they were supposed to like give offerings to help build the temple. And like that wasn't, that's on top of the 23 or 25%. And in modern times, like we would call them in poverty. Like to our standards, these are like poor people. No access to formal education, no running water threats of violence, like these people were not loaded, okay, and God instructed them by law to give 23% and then asked them to give more several times, and so if we live in the wealthiest nation that's ever existed, if we're the wealthiest people group that have ever lived, how could we possibly convince ourselves that we have a lower standard for generosity? Even the most well-meaning, intentioned, I don't want to tithe because I want to give to the poor. Like, the irony, if a people that are even poorer than the poor we would give to today were asked to give 23%, including a tithe to the church. So tithing is the start. It's not the end goal. It's not the, the pinnacle, the peak. I made it. For a lot of us, it's a goal to get to, but it's not the goal you should stop at. Why not 10% to the church, 10% to the poor, 10% to missions, 10% to the cause you're most passionate about, 10% to your descendants? Why not? Like, what would you have to do practically in your life 
to be able to afford to give 50% of your money away? Would you have to live in a small, multi-generational home with no running water, have no car, no phone, no internet, receive no formal education? Y'all, the Old Testament Israelites would be with you. You would not be the first. Like, welcome to the global body of Christ, right? We love history, right? Last thing I'll say, and then we can worship God, is that God is not out to get you. He does not want us to give generously. He does not want us to tithe so that we are held down or so that he can get more. He already owns it all. Y'all remember that Malachi 3 passage we read about the curse because people were withholding from God? Let's finish that passage. I stopped in verse 9, picking up in verse 10. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Bands, you guys can come on up. Guys, God is not out to get you. He did not invent the tithe to oppress you. We, through Jacob, invented the tithe to bless God. It was his idea, not God's forceful hand. And why did God bless this? Because he's looking to reward you. He is longing to bless you. Even that verse we read earlier about, you know, you can't serve God in money. Like it starts off with store up for yourselves riches in heaven. It's not hate your life, eat dirt. It's, I want you to be rich for real for a really long time. Don't get distracted by a car. Don't get distracted by clothes. Like, don't even worry about that stuff. Like, I'm going to take care of you. I love you. I'm the richest dad you could ever have. Like, you got it in the bag. You don't even have to go to college, dude. Like, you can have a job at my business, you know? The kingdom of God. So test him. Bring your tithe to the house of God, 10% from here on out, and just see if he does not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing so that you will not have enough room for it. So as we respond, I just want us all to, as we go into this worship song, just to, in, just to acknowledge that God's the owner. Just as we, as we start worshiping, just say, Lord, you own it all. It's not like you give 50% and then you take 50%. It's like, Lord, it's all yours. However much you want me to spend, I'll spend. However much you want me to invest, I'll invest. Lord, show me what you want to do with your money. It all belongs to you. So I would love for us to just re-surrender that place. If you feel like you're really tight-fisted with your dollars, would invite you to just open your hands and say, God, you're allowed to speak. And if he's already spoken, I would love for you to process those things with God as well. Prayer team, would love for uh, you guys to make your way up. And we'll have some people just lined up here on the sides to pray for you. And we'd love for you to receive prayer. If you're like, man, I want help to guard against money. For the past five years, I've just been excited about how much more I can get one day. And I haven't really thought about how it could destroy my soul. Like, I want you to pray. We're all going to interact with money, right? It's not, you can't save yourself logistically. You just have to pray. So I would love for you to receive prayer if you want help to guard your heart against the deceitfulness of money. Also, if you, if you want prayer to feel more cheerful in the way that you give, we don't want to have a bunch of Debbie Downers that feel like God's just dragging them in the dirt. Man, Life is so hard, but I gave. It's like, man, we want to give like, guys, I just got $100. Can I give you 50 It's not even mine. You know, <laughs> like, don't worry. I'm taken care of. No, it's guaranteed. I'm going to have enough. I'm trying to get some real riches. If you want to feel free to give, lo would love for you to receive prayer. 
And the last thing you can receive prayer for, it kind of just encompasses encompasses it all. But I just want to acknowledge that we live in a culture that worships money. Money, wealth, is probably the top idol in our culture that we live in. I don't mean just like our church. I mean our country. But like we are here. (laughs) We're not like immune. And so it just receive prayer against deception, against ways that we might think, oh, it's just normal. It's like, well, if it's normal to a culture that worships money as a God, we don't want it to be our normal. And we don't want to look normal to someone that's not following God that's a part of that culture. We don't want to get pretty close to like, I mainly do everything the way any standard American would do, but I do give sometimes. It's like, well, no, they do that too. Okay, okay. I want to do everything normal, but then when I die, I'll pledge to give it all. No, they do that. Giving's getting kind of cool now, which means we got to up it. How are we going to look different? Maybe it's going to be in our contentment. Oh, wow, didn't you wear that, like, last week? Be like, yeah. Like, I only have so many pairs of clothes. <laughs> like, did you, <laughs> did you shop again this week? Don't ask that to someone. Jeez, we're trying to worship, guys. Let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray for us. And so, God, we just trust you, and we want to trust you. Lord, would you help us? Would you set us free? God, if there's anything in us that is trusting in money, that has our hope in money, that has our anticipation in money, that has our, just our foundation feels a little bit more secure because Jesus is in there, but also money. God, would you get it out? Lord, we can't, we can't do it. We can't, I could give everything I have away today, but I'm going to make some more money next month probably. Like, I'm always going to have to deal with it. Would you just tell me what you want me to do, and would you help my heart get excited to do that? Lord, you see all of us. You know that you're the provider. So, Lord, I pray freedom from shame, freedom from competition, just anything weird. <laughs> what if we be free? It's all about freedom. And Lord, you're the great, great, great God, and we get to follow you. And how silly if something like a dollar could actually get in the way of my freedom in worship, my freedom in my purity, my freedom in righteousness, my freedom in my eternal rewards. How could I let something that I know is going away when I die, <laughs> something I know that won't last, Why would I let that distract me? So, Lord, would you set us free? Would you help us? In Jesus' name.